think of for a tagline is no 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 fat camps that's not a sentence leave it in i love it welcome to maintenance phase the podcast that would never take you out of where you're comfortable and make you feel bad about yourself oh i like it because we're nice we are nice uh i'm aubrey gordon i'm michael hobbs this month if you join our patreon your bonus episode will be our first ever annual grifty awards where we are giving awards for the best and mostly worst of health and wellness in 2021. Gwyneth gets involved. Nicki Minaj's cousin's balls get involved. It is a romp of a time. But today we are talking about... No, 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 no. I'm not going to do the whole thing again. Fat camps. <laughs> we are talking about fat camps. Mike, tell me what you know about fat camps. Uh, very little, actually. Mm. A couple years ago, I had an idea to do an article on fat camps. The idea was I was going to go to a fat camp and live there. Uh-huh. But once I started reaching out to fat camps, perhaps unsurprisingly, they like didn't want me to go. Nobody would acquiesce to having this random journalist going there asking kids questions and like doing archery. <laughs> so it didn't get very far. But it always seemed like a huge tragedy to me because when you hear the phrase fat camps, you think of something like a normal summer camp, but like with fat kids, like a place where they can feel comfortable with themselves. We know that weight is the number one reason that kids are bullied. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of somewhere that actually helps to heal that a little bit and form a community and create some solidarity between fat people always seemed like something that has the potential to be really lovely. But the problem is, is that they're not fat camps. They're not camps of fat people. They're yeah. weight loss camps. They're boot camps for children. Yeah. Uh, what is your experience? I don't know if you and I have talked about this. I went to a fat camp. Shut up. So I went to a fat camp that was a day camp. So it was not okay. a sleepaway camp, which means that I was spared a lot of the worst of it. And we will talk about some of the worst of it. I went when I was in grade school. And it was a fucking shame factory. Oh, yeah. When I was researching the book, I tracked down the workbook from the fat camp that I went to to see if I wanted to write about it. The workbook had all of these stories in it, which were mostly just like, Clara, this fat girl, gets teased at school for being fat. And she has a conversation with a magical cookie jar and the magical cookie jar tells her that she needs to just stop eating as much and she needs to lose some weight and then other kids will ease up on her. Oh, no. So it was like overwhelmingly they were stories about physical solutions to social problems, right? The problem was never like, you need to ask that person to treat you better. Or you need to get an adult involved. Yeah. It was always like, that will stop when you lose weight. That cookie jar now has an Instagram account. It's just thinspo. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag stop eating part of why i thought it would be interesting to talk about fat camps is it does feel very illustrative when we allow bullying of kids oh, yeah. right like when are we willing to excuse bullying of children it's bad unless they deserve it yeah exactly is my understanding of the general ideology <laughs> yes correct and because there is this belief that you and i have talked about extensively that is pretty well debunked that like 
weight is entirely within an individual's control. Mm-hmm. We sort of extrapolate that and apply it to children. Yeah. And extend the same kind of logic of this sort of idea of an adult responsibility to maintain your weight then gets projected onto kids. Which is super fucked up because kids are not responsible for anything. <laughs> They're not responsible for their parents' yes. incomes. They're not responsible for their parents' education or food choices. They're not responsible for their school lunches. Yes. And the flip side of that is that people will also talk about this, is that people will project that onto parents as well and be like, well, okay, oh, then yeah. that it's the parents' individual responsibility. Yeah, that's also not great. There's a lot of bad moralizing around parenting, mm-hmm. often from extremely limited information. Yeah. You'll hear people say like, I saw a mom at the grocery store and she was buying soda for her kids. And it's like, okay, well, that's literally the only thing that you know about that person. So, yes, there were so many dead ends <laughs> in this research and content wise. Oh, this I'm thinking of the biggest content note yeah. imaginable right now. So we're going to be talking about calorie counts and weights today. You kind of can't talk about fat camp without talking about those things. So take care if those are going to be hard for you to hear. There will also be a couple of mentions of sexual assault. We are talking about some pretty distressing treatment of children throughout this episode. So heads up there. I I think I'm generally pretty tough when it comes to this stuff, right? Like I sort of live in it a lot. And I absolutely had to take some breaks to cry. Really? Yes. This one, I was like, oh my God, everything feels horrible. It's been a while since we got back to our roots of just straight up telling people not to listen to the rest of the show. (laughs) We're back to the classic formula. <laughs> Turn off your podcast now. <laughs> so uh, so where do we dive into this story? So first things first, for folks who genuinely have not encountered fat camps as a thing, fat camps are programs. They're often short-term residential programs for adults or children that promise to deliver short-term weight loss. That usually comes from really intensive exercise programs. Some of the places that I looked at reported six hours a day of intensive exercise programming. Oh, my God. It often involves major calorie restriction. So a number of these were around 1,100 or 1,200 calories a day. Some were around 15 or 1,800 calories a day, but pretty significantly restricted diets. How old are these kids? Or like, how young do fat camps go? The youngest specific age that I saw mentioned in the literature was they talked about a seven-year-old. No way. Kids yep. that young? Yep. So they're sending him to the, the biggest loser, basically. That is one version of fat camp. Most of the fat camps that are open and operational today are very, very careful to go, we're not a fat camp. Of we're course. a weight loss and weight management camp. We're not like what you think. It's the same thing as like Noom being like, we're not a diet where you're like, okay, you are, but you know that people are going to go for this if you call it a diet. What are the duration of these camps? Because you said the one that you went to was just a day camp, like your parents would drive you there in the morning and pick you up in the evening. But then there's also ones Mm -hmm. where you're in slasher movie in the woods with lifeguards and stuff too, right? Like residential camps. So the longest one that I saw was a 12 week program. So it would be like all summer. Okay. Nine weeks is generally the longest. That 12-week one was kind of an outlier. The shortest one on the residential end was two weeks, I think. Okay. Currently, there are about two dozen summer fat camps in operation in the U.S. That was as of 2019, I should say, not currently. So who knows who made it through the pandemic, right? Yeah. As of 2013, the quote-unquote wellness tourism industry, fat camps are a part of that 
was worth $494 billion globally. So it is worth knowing that these can be extreme cash cows for the people who operate them. What are people paying to send their kids, like normal civilians, what are these camps costing? The one that we're going to talk about today, the cost is between $2,500 and $10,000, depending on which location you go to, how long you stay. $2,500 is for two weeks in Arizona. Okay. $10,000 is for seven weeks in California. That's a lot. So, I mean, these are rich parents and rich kids, fundamentally. Yes. Yeah. It's also worth noting, fat camps have been around in one form or another since at least the turn of the century. Mm. Their earlier incarnations were mostly called fat farms. Oh. I have some pictures for you of a 1930s fat farm. It was one of the most famous ones called Rose Door Farms. Okay. It was located at a dairy farm in upstate New York. I'm so excited to show you these. Okay, so thing one, here is a motto that was posted at Rose Door Farms. This is from Rachel Hollis's Instagram. Uh, (laughs) It says... Exercise is necessary to meet modern standards of grace and figure beauty. Inquire about our delightful gym classes. So it's saying exercise is necessary to be beautiful, basically. Yeah. And to sort of be a woman. Yeah. I have some fun exercise pictures as well. Oh, (laughs) it's not a great photo. It's three women doing push-ups, I presume. But then the photo is shot of like just their butts so like it looks like a rap video <laughs> yeah oh and also they're wearing high heels they're wearing heels in every picture of Storm <laughs> Farms. they're all wearing like shorts and t-shirts like they're gonna work out and then fucking heels and their hair is set and they're wearing makeup yeah they're in like a grassy field in these heels <laughs> and the heels are like kind of muddy <laughs> That's the grace and beauty they're talking about. But also all the heels match. Oh, yeah. They're like, here's your standard issue fat camp uniform of short shorts, a cap sleeve t-shirt and heels. (laughs) So the other thing to know is fat camps are most present in the U.S., but there are also fat camps in the U.K. There's like a burgeoning sort of movement to do Mm -hmm. NHS run fat camps in the U.K. Don't do that. There are also fat camps in Australia, in Canada, in Qatar, in Denmark, in Japan, kind of all over the place, right? Yeah, I remember when I was doing research for my article that never happened, somewhere they said that fat camps were the fastest growing segment of the summer camp market. Uh There's rising demand, which makes sense. And also, I think because people are willing to pay more for these sort of specialized camps, it makes sense that more camps would be getting into this just because they can charge people more, essentially. Yeah, totally. One of the pieces that I read said on average, it costs $1,500 more to send your kid to fat camp than to other summer camps. It should cost less because they're feeding them less. They're they're not doing pizza and hot dogs. Like we had a church camp. It feels important to lift up that fat camps are not just like nefarious parents making mean decisions on their children's behalf, right? These kinds of sort of desperate measures are born of a system that doesn't just judge fat kids and fat parents and parents of fat kids regardless of their size in some cases it threatens custody Uh. there have been a number of cases in the u.s where children have been removed from their homes because of the kids weight and a belief that the kids weight is sort of proof positive of parents neglect Mm. earlier this year there was a case in west sussex in england where two kids were placed in foster care as a result of their weight 
They were using Fitbits that had been given to them by the sort of British equivalent of Child Protective Services. They were signed up to Weight Watchers. The whole family was. But the kids hadn't lost weight. Yeah, it's awful. It's fucking horrible. I'm going to send you a quote from the judge that feels really illustrative to me about how we think and talk about fat kids and parenting fat kids. Okay, uh... Everyone agrees that this is a very sad and unusual case of a loving family where the parents meet many of the basic needs of the children, but the local authority has been concerned that the parents are not meeting the children's health needs. The case was such an unusual one because the children had clearly had some very good parenting as they were polite, bright, and engaging. Fuck this. Yep. So everything is fine except the kids' weight. Yep. And we have to take the kids away from their loving and bright and cool parents. Yep, nice who are work. clearly doing a good job, but they have fat kids. Uh, and if they have fat kids, it must be because of an invisible deficiency in their parenting that is only evidenced through the size of their kids' bodies, right? It's also so fucked up because, like, I don't know what the fate of these children are, but the idea that taking children forcibly from their parents is, like, somehow better for their health is demented. Two things I would say. One, smart money says those kids are not going to get thinner as a result of being put in foster care. Exactly. Thing two is, what a fucking roll of the dice. You've got great parents who are nice to you and who you presumably love and who presumably love you. And now you are a fat kid who's just like a fucking walking target going into some stranger foster parents' home who might be nice like your parents and might be terrible and might have weird shit about fat people and might, you know what I mean? Like, it's not great. Well, yeah, they now have a mandate to force these children to lose weight. So it's like, okay, great. They're like now in foster care with an eating disorder. Yeah. In like the best case scenario, basically. So on an aggregate level, this appears to be pretty bad in the UK. Between 2009 and 2014, 74 fat kids were removed from their homes, just a result of weight. Mm -hmm. In 2016, NHS Scotland officially recommended setting up state-funded fat camps. And in 2021, the NHS in England set up a pilot program of 15 fat camps around England. The prospect of state-run fat camps makes me so fucking impossibly sad. It's such a mockery of this wave of quote-unquote evidence-based policy that we've been getting the last decade that this would work to meaningfully and reliably reduce long-term weight loss in children is a joke. Yeah. We know from The Biggest Loser that when you send people off to a ranch, they lose weight at the ranch and they come home and they gain all the weight back. Yes. Even if you hate fat people, even if you are like proudly fat phobic, this is not the solution. Totally. So on the one hand, we've got this idea that like, if a kid is in a loving home, but they're fat, then that is insufficient parenting. But if they're fat and in a strict home that punishes them for being fat, that's somehow better and more responsible of the parents, right? I wanted to take a look at, uh, this is from a documentary in the UK, we're going to watch a little clip about kids getting ready to go to fat camp. We are going to watch a couple of minutes of this. So apologies slash get ready. We've been to the dietitian. We've been through the hospital. We've been to the doctors. I know how to cook. We fry nothing. We don't use fat for cooking. We eat a reasonably healthy diet. So why does she gain the weight? And I think it comes down to a lot of lack, lack, 
of exercise. If she was to do a little bit, even, you know, Stephanie said, game of tennis up the park, game of netball with the girls, she'd burn a bit off. She has to be badgered, otherwise she would be lazier than what she is. So, so, how do you feel so about that's that? what we're here for. We're here to persecute her. And sometimes, unfortunately, it goes a little bit too far, doesn't it, for you? Yeah. Because you get a bit upset. Yes. And you have your moments of hating me. You're lazy, that's what you are. My dad's just my dad. He's <laughs> just learned to put up with him now, but he does sometimes. He gets, uh, we get really get annoyed with him because he does. He goes on and on about it. What sort of things does he say? No, it's just that all, all I ever do is sit down and I never go out and I, and I haven't got any friends and I can't do anything and stuff like that. I'm not a horrible person. I'm not horrible to anyone. But people are horrible to me. Just because I'm a bit overweight. Like, I'll stay up for an hour and think about what it would be brilliant if I were thin or something like that and do everything what everyone else does. And just, like, be a lot... It'd be probably the happiest time of my life when I finally get thin. Well, now I have to adopt two random children from the UK. I know, right? I was just like, Uh, what a fucking horror show. I don't know. It feels like they're documenting an act of abuse. Yeah. Like for parents to be saying this about their kids, it's like bad enough. But for them to be saying it on national TV. Yeah. In that scene where that little girl is in the kitchen and her parents are speaking so horrendously about her. There's this moment where her dad is talking about how she never moves and then she like looks at the camera yeah and like that's so sad to me that like she's aware of the fact that this is only going to lead to more bullying for her from her peers and from her fucking parents and from her parents in the research that i have done i came across maybe a dozen like full-length documentaries or documentary episodes of tv series or whatever about fat camps and they all do this shit they all film parents saying fucking horrible things in their kids' presence. They all include first and last names. They all include the weight of the child. Mm. Like, it just makes you feel really powerless when your parents are like, your body isn't right and you need to fix it. Like, to to blame a child, like, her parents are blaming her. It's truly awful, and it is worth noting, she is built like her parents. Yeah. And I say that not to be like... What a couple of hypocrites, which is usually sort of the line. I don't think that's helpful because I don't think that most people can control their body size in the way that we like to believe that they can, right? But it does feel instructive that this kid looks like her parents, and it might not be that she's doing something wrong. Yeah. As their mom noted, she's like cooking in a particular way. She's like not using fat. She's not frying anything. She's doing all this stuff. She's sort of exasperated and is like, we're doing everything right, but she's still gaining weight. Like, what do we do? And I'm like, so that might be a sign that it's not actually about individual behaviors, my guy. Yeah, exactly. But there's not really an alternative being offered at this point. And it sounds like the alternative is sending her to some short-term bullying cabins out in the woods where they're going to be shitty to her. She's probably going to lose 15 pounds and then she's going to gain back 25 because that's what always fucking happens. So that actually gets us into the next sort of thing that I wanted to talk about in context world. And then we get to dive into this particular fat camp. 
I wanted to take a look at the research around fat camps, and there's been quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmingly, these studies that have been done into fat camps trumpet the success of weight loss camps for kids as an effective intervention in the war on childhood obesity, right? Mm. The overwhelming majority of these studies measure success based on two measures. One, what was their weight on day one? And what was their weight on the last day of camp? <laughs> and two, what was their BMI on day one? And what was their BMI on the last day of camp? <laughs> Great. I found two studies that did any kind of follow-up after camp was over. Oh, wow. One of those followed up 10 months later, and it showed that 90% of campers had regained significant amounts of weight in the following 10 months. But the way that they framed it up in that study was their BMI stayed at or below what it was on day one of camp, even just by like 0.5 of a BMI point, right? So they were like, success! Look at all these people who weighed less than when they started fat camp. And I'm like, Okay, right, but we're talking about, like, one pound right. a year later. And also their pa their parents spent, like, $15,000. That is such an expensive pound. <laughs> yeah. And anecdotally, a number of camp owners have said that about half of their campers each year are return campers. Well, there you go. Right. Right. Um, which they're like, it's great. They keep coming back because it's great. And I'm like, well, so what? I don't even know what the paradigm is supposed to be where this would induce long-term success. Because the whole thing is that you're sending them away to camp to sort of kickstart their weight loss and learn skills that they can then take back with them. But the thing is, the camps themselves are totally unsustainable lifestyles. Yes. These kids are not going to go home and exercise for six hours a day and eat 1,100 calories for a long period of time. And then the idea of skills that you're teaching them information, you're imparting education at these camps that they can then apply when they go home is also bullshit because everyone knows most of the things about quote-unquote healthy eating right people know fruits and vegetables don't eat fried foods the desserts like everyone knows the basic architecture of this yep and also a lot of these kids when you send them back home they're not preparing their own food yes i don't know how old these kids are but they looked about like i don't know 13 14 they're probably their mom is still going to be cooking meals and a lot of these kids are not necessarily in control of their own finances, so they're not buying their own snacks. This doesn't make any sense that this would actually work. Yeah. So this is also one of the tropes that comes up when they talk to owners of fat camps and directors of fat camps when they go, oh, hey, it looks like some of the kids regained the weight. The response from people who run fat camps is, well, that's because their parents didn't follow up. Okay. And their parents didn't change and the family system needs to change. And I'm like, well, if the family system needs to fucking change, yeah. first of all, it fucking doesn't. And even if that premise were true, then fucking make an intervention about the family system changing and not shipping your kid off to fucking fat camp. This is the thing. It's like you're saying the thing you're suggesting as an intervention doesn't work. And then the person in charge of that intervention is like, no, 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 we need a different intervention. Yeah. It's like, great, bye. <laughs> I what do I need a fat camp for if it's all about the parents? Yeah. There's also like presumably psychological damage and other negative outcomes that come from losing weight and gaining it back. Oh, Michael. Oh, Michael, you're like a human segue. It's so perfect. I'm like mid-rant <laughs> and you're sending me Skype notifications. I just sent you a quote to read. To read. So, <laughs> so <laughs> this is from uh, physician Caroline Welbury in American Family Physician in 2006. Mm -hmm. This was a quote that underscores exactly what the fuck you were just talking about. Ooh, 
She says, even though weight loss camps are a popular intervention, few studies have evaluated their effectiveness. The results of two studies showed some weight loss in campers and another showed no weight change. Yep. So basically, this is another fucking thing with this field, is there's all these interventions that are being touted, like the NHS is thinking of setting up state-run fat camps on the basis of what evidence? Yeah. Oftentimes, when you actually look, there's like a study or two or something, and it's really low quality. And there's all these awooga noises from the methodologies of these extremely trash studies, oftentimes that are funded, I don't know in this case, but oftentimes they're funded from whatever industry is trying to sell the intervention. And then you always find this thing of like, oh, well, obesity is such an important issue. We need to move fast on this, even though the data isn't there. It's like, well, then what are we moving fast on the basis of? Yep. And also, it doesn't even seem like there's that very much interest in finding out whether something actually works or not. Yeah, it works in the long term, right? It's enough that something is able to like take some number of pounds off of a small number of kids in the short term. People are like, great, it works, let's run with it. And there's no consideration of, you know, of all of the studies that I read, I'm going to say two dozen studies maybe on this. Mm -hmm. One mentioned eating disorders and weight stigma. No way. One. Yeah. Everything else was just like, how much did they weigh on day one? How much did yeah. they weigh on the last day? It works. Let's run with it. Dude, me and you have read so many diet studies for this show. And one thing I can say with rock solid certainty is that short-term weight loss is the easiest fucking thing in the world. Yeah. Every diet gives short-term weight loss. So it's weird for these studies that, that this discourse even still exists. That it's like, oh, it worked after six weeks, but we don't know in the follow-up. It's like, everything works at six weeks. Well, and we haven't even fucking figured out why people are fat. Right. Right? We have a bunch of theories. There are something like 60 different types of obesity that researchers have sort of pinpointed that all have different causes and different effects, right? Like, it is bananas to be like, okay, we don't totally know what the origin of the problem is. We don't know where it's located. We don't know whatever, but we definitely know how to fix it. Go to a fat camp. That's also, I mean, that's such an interesting point too, because you could imagine, I mean, for fuck's sake, never a fat camp, but you could imagine some sort of intervention being effective at improving health habits if you did some sort of diagnosis beforehand. Yeah. There's no other screening going on, it seems like. Of whether this sort of thing is actually what the kids need. Yeah. It also seems like they're just funneling in all of the kids that can pay. Yeah. I mean, there are a number of stories in these fat camps. I watched the fucking Michael. <laughs> this is 90 minutes of my life that I will never get back. I watched the fucking MTV fat camps documentary from like 2006. Dude, I've seen that. I've also seen that. It's so fucking horrible. You just watch all of the kids that are less fat fucking bully all the kids who I are know. more fat. I know. One of those kids is type 1 diabetic, and she's being homeschooled because the side effects of her medication are so intense, which means she hasn't been around other kids, and she's sort of like a little bit mystified by the social dynamics because she hasn't been in them in a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Everyone is fucking horrible to her. And I'm going to, this was not going to be part of the episode, but now it is because now I'm talking about it and I'm so fucking mad. <laughs> there are also two people who date and they dated last year at fat camp and then they both come back mm -hmm. and 
the dude in the couple keeps being like, oh, look at how fucking fat Marissa got. Like, mm. oh, I can't even look at her anymore. Blah, blah, blah. But then we'll also give her letters that are like, I'm still in love with you and I still have feelings for you. And any mean things that I say are oh. just because I'm sad that I'm not with you anymore. And then she takes those fucking notes and reads them aloud to her friends and they make fun of them. <laughs> and she outs him as being bipolar. Uh. Like these documentarians, no fucking joke. were like, how can I show these teenagers at their worst? Yeah. But in particular, so the, the, one of the fattest campers at fat camp in this documentary is this girl named Diane. There was a review in the Washington post of this documentary and they were basically like it's great you should watch it mm. the way that the reviewer describes the fattest camper is quote there's also diane whose mother works at the camp who tends to deal with most problems by weeping profusely and who bears an unfortunate resemblance to serial killer john wayne gacy what the fuck is that what is that sick burn of a child what should i do with this platform oh, i should dunk on a fat disabled eighth grader yeah what cool dude what a great fucking idea you dick i'm just imagining you throwing your tv into the dumpster and setting it on fire i mean outside your house i absolutely <laughs> looked at like heavy bags on amazon yeah. like i was like i feel like i need to do like a bunch of fucking punching have you ever been so mad at a website that you throw your phone across the room absolutely like, fuck this website as if like that's where it lives <laughs> by have you ever had this experience do you mean do i have this experience every time i'm researching an episode of the show yes i do <laughs> fuck this column from 21 years ago mike i'm on my eighth <laughs> iphone this year <laughs> <laughs> So I was going to say more about the research. I mean, I think the main thing to know is like, it's all short term. It's not particularly illustrative of the sort of long term effects. Almost none of the media that I found, there's one book that I found that was focused on the actual campers experience. Everything else was just, did they lose weight or did they not lose weight? If they did, it worked. It's good. Again, where is the interest in this? Yeah. With so many studies, it's like they gather the fucking quantitative data and they do their like statistical things, but there's no actual endeavor to understand the phenomenon. Yep. It's like we found this thing, we got a graph, we got enough to publish. But it's like, well, did we fucking learn anything? I mean, I will say there were like a couple of studies that use some like existing tools to measure overall self-esteem. Okay. And said that average self-esteem increased for campers over the course of camp but they don't ask why yeah. like it could be that they are feeling better about themselves because they're actually able to be around just other fat kids for the first time it could be that they were in an environment that was entirely focused on weight loss and then did the one thing right like temporarily lost weight yeah there's this idea that's like fat camp is good it makes you have higher self-esteem and it's like well fucking hang on how long does that part last too and well, under exactly. what conditions what it says to me is that they're they're creating an even stronger link between the kids self-esteem and their weight yes this is the cycle that everybody goes through you're envisioning this new life for yourself and then inevitably when you start gaining the weight back because you're a human being and this is what human beings do because your self-esteem is now even more closely coupled to your weight, it's even more devastating to go back to the previous weight that you were at. Yep. So it's like, what is the point of doing this to fucking children yeah. when maybe just leaving them at the same weight would actually be better than losing 25 pounds and then gaining 25 pounds? That's right. 
So what we have in terms of looks at sort of the long-term impacts are accounts from adults who went to fat camp as kids. There are some adults, I read, I don't know, a dozen personal accounts of adults who went to fat camp. Some folks did speak highly of their time at fat camp. They talked about things like being seen as romantically desirable for the first time in their lives. Mm. They liked being around other fat people and not feeling sort of excluded and different in that way. Although the fattest campers at fat camp reported having those same feelings, right? Right. That only worked for people who were not the fattest people in the room. (sighs) They talk about sort of breaking the isolation and realizing that they weren't alone in how they were feeling about being a fat kid or their experiences Mm. of being a fat kid. But again, all of this is happening in a setting that is explicitly entirely focused on sort of producing thinness, right? Right. Like, I'm very glad that there are people who have had good experiences. I will say the folks who spoke most highly of their experiences were entirely people who present to me as thin adults. Oh, interesting. It's a very small sample size. It's not scientific in any way, but I was just like, oh, notable. Yeah. Notable. (laughs) The people who feel good about it are the people who did what it wanted them to do, which is become thin adults, right? Right. The flip side of that is a number of people talked about fat camp as their gateway to a restrictive eating disorder. Campers and counselors both talked about developing binge purge behaviors when they were at camp and hiding food and falling into a bunch of disordered eating patterns. Well, what I would love to hear from the owner of a fat camp, (laughs) what the distinction is between exercising six hours a day and eating 1100 calories at a fat camp and doing that not at a fat camp. Because if you're not at a fat camp, that's a fucking eating disorder. (laughs) Well, if you're not a fat person, that's an eating disorder. Yeah, exactly. It's disordered eating. Of course they have disordered eating after they go to the disordered eating farm. Totally. Jesus Christ. I'm going to send you one more quote. So many of the adults and kids who talked about going to fat camp talked about how most of the kids there had really, really rough home lives that were often made worse by deeply judgmental parents. So some kids asked to go to fat camp. The majority, majority, majority were sent by their parents. So this is a quote from a former fat camper. It says, Most of the kids were sent there against their will by ashamed, very wealthy parents. Almost every girl in my cabin had a story about something wretched that a family member had said to her about how her size was reflecting poorly on the family. The overwhelming sentiment was that kids at the camp need to be fixed rather than helped or supported. Yep. Shocking twist. Everyone is here because their mom is the mom from Titanic. <laughs> Tightening the corset. So before we got on Mike, Michael made another Titanic reference, which makes me just think, did you watch Titanic last night? There's only one movie in my life, and it's Titanic at all times. <laughs> I watched it last night every night. I love that movie. <laughs> That's me, but with like uh, Muppets Most Wanted. <laughs> I like Ty Burrell as a French Interpol guy. It's great. Okay, that is the the very generally dark context that we're walking into. God. Now I'm all worked up. I know, dude. All of the emotions that you went through in the last like three weeks, I'm now experiencing in like an hour and a half. I fucking know. I feel like I've been on a roller coaster. I, this is why I was like, <laughs> we can only do one clip because every fucking clip is this level of like Ugh, yeah. just naked bias. Yeah. Okay, so today, Michael Hobbs, we are going to talk about one fat camp in particular. 
Have you heard of Camp Shane? No. It's named Camp Shane because it's named for the word Shane, S-H-E-Y-N, which is the Yiddish word for beautiful. Oh, okay. So Camp Shane is one of the most famous fat camps in the country. It is the first co-ed fat camp. Oh. Camp Shane is credited by the screenwriters as having inspired heavyweights. The slogan for Camp Shane, I'm not fucking kidding, is learn, laugh, lose. Oh, that's actually pretty good. (laughs) Their secondary slogan is way better than a fat camp, where way is spelled W-E-I-G-H. Of course. It's like eat, pray, just kidding, don't eat. (laughs) I'm just going to be workshopping slogans for the rest of the episode. I'm done listening. I like it. I like it. (laughs) So... As I'm talking about this, I'm using the past tense because earlier this year, after 53 years in business, the most famous fat camp in the country, I would argue, abruptly closed. The owner told parents and media that they were closing because they were short-staffed and didn't have enough staff who were willing to work under COVID protocols. In the months since then, a very different, very complex, and very dark story has unfolded about, like... Hey, it might not have just been about staffing. Yeah, it's never whenever management blames workers for the company failing, it's never the workers. <laughs> That's right. So the biggest story, the sort of story that really blew this open was a long read in Bloomberg written by someone named David Govey Herbert, who spoke to over 60 former campers and counselors and staffers. So the story here starts with a family. The two people that we're going to spend the most time with are Selma Ettenberg, who is the mom in this family and the founder of Camp Shane. And the other person we're going to spend the most time with is her oldest son, David Ettenberg. She started Camp Shane in 1968. She did a bunch of media around the opening of Camp Shane and got a ton of coverage in its early years. Mm-hmm. And I am going to send you a quote about that coverage from mm-hmm. this Bloomberg piece. It says, The resulting coverage could be casually vicious. Nobody loves a fat kid, an ex-fatty finds, read a New York Daily News headline from 1972. Her objective is to make a human being of a child who enters camp looking like a glob, a Detroit Free Press reporter wrote two years later. My parents love me now, one boy told a reporter, they don't pick on me anymore. So again, parental bullying is the theme of this fucking episode in this entire sector. Yep. So Camp Chain started out as one camp in Ferndale, New York, that served 20 campers its first year. Over the years, it grew to many states, and it served over 600 campers at its height. Mm -hmm. Each of them are paying about $1,500. So adjusted for inflation, the camp is raking in about a million dollars a year. So Selma is getting rich off of this camp, right? Right. In terms of the actual program at Camp Shane, what folks were put on was a 1,500-calorie-a-day diet, Food did not have salt because of water retention issues. Oh. There were no snacks. There were no sweets. If there was a field trip to a nearby town, when the campers returned, their bags were searched to make sure kids weren't sneaking in foods. Nice. Packages sent 
to the camp were also searched. There was one story of someone who was like, my mom sent me maxi pads because I was on my period and a counselor made me open them in front of her to prove that they weren't candy. Oh, wow. Good God. Which just like, I don't know, man, as a teenager who's having a period, like, and especially if you're on your fucking period, are you kidding me? (laughs) No, thank you. So there's sort of like, doing all this shit to limit the amount of foods and the kinds of foods that kids have access to. But at the same time, the owner was recruiting thin counselors overwhelmingly. And she decided the owner at the time decided that they didn't actually need to be on the restricted diet that the campers were on. So she had a separate pig out room is what it was called right next to the main dining hall that campers could see. Oh, and it was just full of whatever fucking kind of food thin counselors wanted to eat. And if campers hit their goal weight, they were sometimes allowed to go into the pig out room as like a reward. This the, this makes no yep. sense. First yep. of all, yep. Yep. it's an yep. acknowledgement yep. that people can't live like this on any kind of long term basis, because if they could, then the counselors would live like this, too. And secondly, your reward for restrictive eating is you get to eat as much as you want. That's like a really bad paradigm to teach the kids. It also seems like weirdly counterproductive to whatever the fuck you're doing there. It just seems like it's going to teach these kids to like eat nothing and then binge. That's exactly right. It's like food is a reward that you get from being thin, which you get from not eating. Yeah. So you get to eat after you not eat enough. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. So in addition to all of that, campers are regularly weighed, measured and photographed. They're usually photographed shirtless or in a swimsuit or in underwear Mm. we're talking about folks that we saw in the clip that we watched were like one was 11 and the other one i think was 13 this is not a time when you want to be mostly disrobed in front of your peers especially if you're a fucking fat kid right like it's just like no 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 selma was widely understood by pretty much everybody who came in contact with her to be a very intense and very polarizing figure there was a song at the camp to the tune of bingo that went there was a bitch who ran this camp and selma was her name (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yep wow foul-mouthed kids in the 70s seriously oh my god she was super fucking intense in her management decisions Mm -hmm. she had three children who in their adulthood she would talk to them about sort of taking over the camp when her daughter diana gave birth to her first child selma got extremely angry Oh, because she was like, you were supposed to work at this camp and now your attention is divided. So she fired her daughter and cut off her health insurance. She's cutting toxic people out of her life. 2020. Selma. Girl boss. (laughs) Selma. (laughs) She made that resolution and she stuck with it. (laughs) So David, the eldest, stays on at the fat camp and his sister takes that really hard. And there's a long standing rift between the two of them as a result of it, where she's like, you just watched our mom fucking fire me and got off my health insurance. Yeah, Abusive parents are very good at pitting kids against each other. Selma sounds like a masterclass in that to me. Yeah. So by the late 1980s, so Camp Shane has now been around for 20 years. David confronts his parents and says, essentially, They have got to hand over ownership if they want him to stay on. He's passed up other job offers. He's not doing other things. Mm -hmm. They agree. 
But in pretty short order, Selma seems to get cold feet or have second thoughts or whatever. And she files a lawsuit to invalidate the earlier agreement. So she is suing her son. That's like a good first date weed him out question. Like, how many legal actions are you in the middle of against your children? (laughs) Sue your kids. Two? Okay. So David ended up buying the camp from his parents for $1.2 million in 1991. So this whole court battle drags out over several years. Mm. In the end, the courts upheld the sale and David became the owner outright of Camp Shane. But that did not stop Selma from having huge fucking feelings and resentment about that. In 2000, the IRS started investigating Camp Shane's financials and David's financials in particular. Oh, my God. Both of the kids, both of Selma's kids, David and Leslie, the other daughter, believe that their mother reported them to the IRS. Dude, it's weird to start a business and then sell it to your son and then try to ruin it. Yeah. It's like a foundational principle. It's a little weird. So as all of this is happening, Camp Shane just keeps growing. Wow. In 2002, the camp was featured on that MTV show, True Life. The year after that airs, the summer after that airs, there are 500 campers at Camp Shane. It's their highest number of enrollees yet. As all of this is happening, as the camp is growing in 2006... David decides to go national, and that's when he opens up these campuses in all of these other states. Ah, okay. This is also like the height of childhood obesity panic. Oh, yeah. Dr. Phil probably sent him some kids, some of those boot camp episodes. (laughs) Fuck, man. There is also, I will say, I am a dedicated Top Chef viewer, and there is Mm -hmm. an episode from one of the early seasons where the chefs are like challenged to like make foods that fit within restricted calories for kids at a fat camp. That's dark. It's so dark. dark. So the camp is growing and growing and growing. Selma's sort of like physically out of the picture. But inside the camp, things were really fucking rough. So in 2011, a camp counselor talks about what her job was. And here's what Bloomberg has to say about it. Quote, Her job was to run arts and crafts, but she spent much of her time comforting kids. Within the span of a few hours one day, she had a crying girl admit that she'd been cutting herself, found another purging in the bathroom, and consoled a sobbing camper who'd lost, quote, only 10 pounds that week. Right. Yeah, because they're fucking game show contestants and they don't know it. It's not good for children. So this counselor's pay was $550 plus room and board for 11 weeks of work. She says that while she was at the camp, she developed a real practice of binging. So she spent her entire salary on food. Oh, wow. And when she was asked about the campers, she said, quote, if they didn't come in with eating disorders, they left with them. Yeah, I mean, we were teaching them to have eating disorders. And they succeeded in having eating disorders. Yeah. There were also reports from other former employees that say that David, the owner, instructed them to write positive Yelp reviews of Camp Shane under pseudonyms, (laughs) according to these former employees, if they didn't. He said he would dock their pay. I can't believe that the person who's shitty to children is also shitty in like every <laughs> other aspect. Yeah, it doesn't stop when they become teenagers. Neat. <laughs> I should say it goes without saying David denies all of this and is like, I would never do this. I mean, of course. Staff issues are like a real theme here. So I genuinely looked up 
on like Indeed and Glassdoor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I looked up employee reviews of working at Camp Shane. Out of five stars, it gets 1.8 stars for pay and benefits. Nice. <laughs> Nearly every written review mentioned straight up not getting paid. But at least a lot of kids didn't lose any weight and got psychologically traumatized. <laughs> oh, Ultimately, silver lining, fat kids feel worse than ever. Zooming out, it also harmed many children. <laughs> so, <laughs> One of the reviews says, quote, I signed up hoping to gain experience in nutrition and helping the children to lose weight. The food sucked. I became the lunch lady for every meal. The meal plans were put together without much thought. The sports activities were the same every day. No psychologist was provided or a nurse like the parents were promised. The company promises more than they give you and the pay sucks, especially since you were on your feet from 6.30 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. It was basically a dollar an hour. I mean, that's pointing at something else, too, with this, the rise of fat camps as a quote-unquote health intervention, that there doesn't seem to be a lot of quality control or differentiation between the fat camps. I mean, the whole concept of a fat camp is built on the idea that it is children's responsibility to be thin. Right. And that any cost, $10,000 is worth it if your kid is a couple pounds lighter a year later. Right. There's no accountability. Yeah. Underfeeding children is quite easy. <laughs> you just like, don't yes. give them enough food and make them exercise. Correct. I mean, this is the thing is like if all the kids are gaining the weight back and no one seems to care because they're all blaming the kids or blaming the parents then why would a fat camp ever improve what it's doing? Like, yeah. there's no actual feedback loop. So things back at the camp continue to worsen. In 2015, the director of the Ferndale campus, the original campus, he'd been the director for 20 years, and he left, reportedly because there were some tensions with David as the owner. Like, things were getting worse and worse there. So for the first time since the early 90s, David is in charge of the day-to-day -day operations again, and everything goes to shit. <laughs> <laughs> Enrollment is down. Two thirds of the cabins are reportedly empty. More and more campers seem to have mental and behavioral health issues. One kid smuggled in knives to cut themselves at night. Oh, God. When I say everything went to shit, that is also literal. The camp had two septic pumps and both of them blew out one day. So the camp was oh. flooded with sewage. Oh, my God. <laughs> Things went <laughs> off the rails in the Georgia campus, too. They enrolled an autistic camper who was promised that staff would stay with him in his cabin each night. He was anxious. Mm -hmm. They did not stay with him in his cabin any night, not even on the first night. Uh, and on that first night, in the absence of staff presence, the autistic camper was repeatedly raped by one of his bunkmates. Oh, my God. That bunkmate pleaded guilty to a felony charge as a result. And the autistic camper's parents uh, filed a civil suit against Camp Shane and won. Oh, wow. In 2019... David sells the property that Camp Shane was on. His mother had bought it in 1968 for $50,000. He was now selling it for $6.3 million. So he's getting out. He's not getting out. Oh. He just moves the camp to Connecticut. He moves it to a private oh. school campus where they rent property there, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a school. And that same year in 2019, a new civil suit was filed against the camp, alleging that a former camper was sexually abused repeatedly by an adult staff member oh wow in 2021 hearst connecticut media group submits a foia request a freedom of information act request 
from the Connecticut Office of Early Childhood, which licenses summer camps around the state. Mm-hmm. There were so many complaints about Camp Shane that the camp voluntarily surrendered its license. Oh, wow. So all of this horrible shit is happening. All of these complaints are being filed. All of these violations are being found by this state investigation. And in July, in the middle of camp, parents across the country got 48 hours notice that they would need to pick their kids up and that the camp was closing for the season. So they had two days you're in Michigan and your kid's in New York, figure it out. These are rich parents. So they had their like butlers do it. But still, <laughs> they have like helicopters just hovering over the camp at all times, I assume. The investigation found that they had 62 violations. Mm-hmm. Among other things, they found that the camp had issues with missing campers. Those kids were out looking for food. Those kids are hungry. They had failed to train staff on administering medication. And again, a number of these kids have mental health issues. Those, none of those kids should be at a fat camp. Yep. So those are sort of like the, you know, categories of violations. Here are some of the actual stories. On the last weekend of its operation, a goalpost fell on a camper. That eight-year-old girl who was the camper fractured her skull. <gasps> Campers, quote, were encouraged to work out until they vomited. This is where we get into Baby Biggest Loser. Yeah. Parents would call or email the camp to share sort of concerns about their kids' experiences, and they didn't get any responses from the camp for days. Camp counselors were responsible for administering cognitive behavioral therapy. (laughs) So it's like a bunch of teenagers doing, like, psychology. Yep, and they have no training in CBT. Wikipedia, YouTube tutorials. This is how I learned to iron shirts. Yeah, that's how you learn to be a therapist, right? Yeah. All of this is happening with... As we mentioned, like frequent bullying amongst campers and sometimes between counselors and campers, right? Oh, man. It's so fucking rough. Well, it's actually an interesting question. What's the difference between someone encouraging your kid to lose weight and bullying them? Like some of this stuff, it's sort of encouraged for people to be mean to kids Because, quote unquote, health is at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, this is a thing that we've talked about a little bit and that I've written about, which is that the logic of, quote unquote, tough love weight loss is just the same as the logic of abuse. Yes. I wouldn't be doing this if you didn't make me. I'm doing it for your own good. As soon as you shape up, I can stop. Yeah. You're in control here. You're making me do this and I don't like it. Right. It really does sort of operate from pretty similar playbooks yeah that's thrown into even sharper relief when you take into account that we don't know how to produce weight loss for a majority of people in the long term and we certainly don't fucking know how to do that in an empirical way with kids yeah we we can't even get teenagers to stop playing pokemon go (laughs) i don't know how to do anything with teenagers timely reference that was my only that was all i got (laughs) reference my interact the level of my interaction with teens We're now just like the human equivalents of that Steve Buscemi. How are you doing, fellow kids? I have that skateboard over my shoulder right now. Yes, (laughs) that is accurate. I will say, like, this is all the story of one fat camp. It was a very prominent one. It was a very well-known one. But it is one fat camp. So by no means is this like this exactly this is happening at every fat camp ever. Yeah. But I do think it's worth lifting up that. 
When you focus an environment exclusively on getting children to change their bodies at almost any cost, and you deprioritize the lived experience of those kids, it can attract a kind of person who just doesn't care much about the people that they're working with, and in some cases may have really profound biases or grudges or weird shit about fat people. Overwhelmingly, there may be folks who haven't really unpacked their own body shit and end up externalizing that onto the people around them, who in this case are children. Mm-hmm. I think there's this sense amongst the thin people that I talk to about fat camps. It's like, well, you know, if it helps. Well, it also doesn't help in that way. I mean, it's such a narrow way to measure health and such a stupid way to measure the well-being of children. But even on that one stupid measure, it doesn't fucking help. <laughs> yeah, totally. We focused everything on weight loss. Okay, great. Well, are the camps helping them lose weight? No. Okay. Yeah. That's so right. at the core of fat camp is this idea that this temporary intervention where adults kind of whip kids into shape is going to fix whatever led them to whatever point they are at in their lives. Right. And whatever weight gain or body size or any of that stuff. Right. That's like, hey, man, if you have abusive parents and they ship you off to fat camp and you lose 10 pounds in 10 weeks, and then you come home, your parents are still fucking abusive. There's also, it's not clear to me that this scared straight approach works for anything. Yeah. The idea that you can take somebody out of their home environment, submit them to some extreme regimen, and then put them back into their home life, just as a model of behavior change, it doesn't make any sense. It's not plausible because people respond to things based on the forces in their own context, like we do things because of what is around us on a daily basis, not what was around us five weeks ago when some random guy I've never met before yelled at me. That's not going to have a lasting effect on behavior. Yeah, I mean, there are some fat camps now that have been operating more recently that incorporate more sort of accept and celebrate your body kind of stuff, but also are still focused on weight loss. Right. I actually read a great book about more recent fat camps written by a sociology professor named Laura Backstrom. It's called Weighty Problems. A number of the campers that she talked to, this book came out in 2019, so presumably this was like pretty recent, spoke really highly of their time at fat camp. Hmm. And she also was like, But also, they are sort of being taught these deeply conflicting messages about, like, appreciate your body and embrace it as it is, but also change it as much as possible right now. Yeah, It's a little bit of, like, an adapt to keep with the times kind of thing, but without really reckoning with the, like, inherent deep contradictions in those messages. That's a lot of cognitive dissonance to have between kayaking and archery. Totally! Essentially, her sort of primary critique, she was like, So now they're just getting conflicting messages. Before, the instruction was clear. It was impossible, but it was clear. And her argument was she was like, I actually think these conflicting messages can be as damaging or more so because you're supposed to both love your body and change it and hate it and reject it, but also act like you love it because if you don't then there's going to be weird social consequences for that, right? Like, it feels like the bottom line of all of this is just like adults have anxieties about kids' bodies. They project them onto kids and then they make kids solve their own fucking anxiety. Save that cognitive dissonance for goop.com. Don't bring it to children. (laughs) Leave it on the internet for adults. Yeah, lose weight with your, whatever, vaginal eggs. Yeah, exactly. Use vaginal eggs, mom. 
<laughs> you're, you're a consenting adult on some level to that stuff. Maintenance phase do's and don'ts. Don't go to fat camp. Do use jade eggs up your business. <laughs> <laughs>